When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is one of the most prolific actors to make a home on the big screen. Having starred in a litany of the most iconic films in the history of cinema across five different decades, I might add, there are precious few actors who have had the kind of towering career that he's already had, and he's still going strong. And that really isn't empty hyperbole. This is just a tiny fraction of his unbelievable filmography. Footloose, Animal House, Diner, A Few Good Men, Friday the 13th, Apollo 13, Mystic River, X-Men First Class, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Oliver Stone's widely celebrated retelling of the assassination of America's 35th president, JFK. He's worked alongside such industry titans as Meryl Streep, Sean Penn, Clint Eastwood, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, John Lithgow, Kevin Costner, and the iconic Jack Nicholson, to name but a few. And that's just his film work. He's also made the jump to TV to take part in the new golden age of storytelling with shows like The Following, I Love Dick, Taking Chance, for which he won a Golden Globe for his performance. So please help me in welcoming the man that none of us are separated from by more than six degrees, the star of the new horror thriller, You Should Have Left, the legendary actor, Kevin Bacon. Kevin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for Dude, having me. an absolute, absolute pleasure. Um, your career is crazy when i think about the number of films that you've been in that have really left their mark on cinema it's pretty staggering um what is it like right now given the shutdown of the film industry um how's that been do you see a path forward like when are we going to get back to sort of business as usual uh well i would start by saying just in general about the um the shutdown you know, I, I try to wake up every day and, and feel as much gratitude as I can for the fact that uh, I have a roof over my head and I've got plenty of food to eat and um, that I live a very privileged lifestyle that um, I have my and my wife is with me and we have our health. And, uh, you know, at this point, uh, my family is, is all healthy. I'm the youngest of six and I have two children myself. My wife has a lot of people in her family and, and everyone seems to be pretty healthy. So that that's that's where I try to start each day just with that kind of uh you know feeling of 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 being feeling pretty lucky in this in this situation um i'm someone who really likes to uh work as you probably see from my imdb page there were a lot of times when i probably you know just went to work cuz i just wanted to be busy possibly without really you know, being as choosy as I, as I should have been. And, 
And it's just a, it's just a really strong work ethic that, that I have, you know, it's a combination of that and it's a common and, uh, having a strong work ethic and also, you know, having been in, uh, situations where, you know, I didn't have a pot to piss in and the, and the, and, uh, every job I thought was going to be my last and, and I was, you know, trying to, you know, I was running out, the money was leaving my bank account and I was trying to, you know, just work to put something back in there. And, and, um, so I, I always have this, uh, somebody offers me something or gives me an opportunity to go. I'm like, I better take it. Cause you know, this may be it. Um, I'm trying to get better about being choosy. <laughs> when you, when you look at that, you know, you go, if you're really shut down for month after month, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a vacation, and I don't really like vacations, to tell you the truth. I don't really like to, to have vacation that much. I mean, we will do like a Christmas kind of, um, you know, you kind of have to shut down because the whole industry shuts down. Um, but generally, my wife and I, both of us, even though we love home and we love to, you know, cook and we're not people that like to go out to premieres and do all that kind of stuff. We are vagabonds and we are our own version of workaholics. We Now you've talked about actually enjoying being on a tour bus. Um, yeah. So the vagabonding thing, like as somebody who's known for having a pretty solid home life, what is it about the call of the road, enjoying being on the tour bus and traveling around? I'm assuming most of the time you and your wife are, are off on different projects. So um, what, what is the call of the road? Well, when I say, that, you know, when I talk about the, when I talk about the tour bus, you know, I, I'm, it's, I'm really saying that in general, my life has been a tour bus, even before we put the band together, because, you know, people kind of think that if you're an actor, you live in Hollywood and then you do all your work in Hollywood. And that's really not the case. I mean, I've, I think I've probably made a movie or a TV show in, in at, at least 50 uh, percent of the states in this in this between the two of us, let's say, you know. So we're going from place to place to place and we're bouncing back and forth from New York to to L.A. to wherever. So we always feel like our suitcases are packed. It's like we have a very, very solid kind of home situation, but we always know that those suitcases are packed. And and in a, in a weird kind of way, that really feeds us. Now, what is it about? I don't know. Are we running from something or or, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure what the what the psychological reason for that is. But I know that it's something that feeds um, both of us. And it's have you ever explored that in your lyrics? I know you've talked about how your lyrics are a lot more personal. Um, so what in writing those lyrics, what what are some of the ideas that you explore? I've, I've heard you sort of tease before, like, are we running towards something? Are we running away from something? But really, in, in your lyrics, I imagine you've explored it. What what is sort of the, the layer revealed there? Yeah, um, I, I definitely explore it in my lyrics a lot of times. But listen, I wouldn't be alone in in that as a songwriter to talk about the road, let's face it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the first guy who, who talked about the road. I mean, the last thing I think I probably wrote around that thing was a, uh, was a song called I Feel You. And um, I was on the road and we were in, uh, we pulled into um, uh, Jackson, uh, Mississippi, and, um, and, and I was struck with um, seeing 
uh, this old Greyhound bus station. They had a, um, a plaque about the, um, the, uh, the freedom riders who had come through Jackson, Mississippi during the civil rights movement. And um, I just kind of kicked the song off with that. But it was really about, it's called I, F- I Feel You. What's it called? I think it's called I Feel You, yeah. And it's really about feeling her, you know, wherever I am. That, that if you really care about somebody and you're on the road, there's two, there's two options. One is that, you know, it completely fucks up your relationship. And you see that happen a lot of times. People, you know, have a hard time pulling it together. And the other is that you just try to, I don't know, try to keep that person with you in some sort of a way. Um, and it's challenging. You know, that's challenging. You know, there's a lot to be to do with that. But I'm actually really interested about that. So my wife and I, my wife's British. So at the beginning of our relationship, it was long distance. And I realized that, just like you said, I, I had a choice. I could sort of f- flip a switch in my head and put distance between us and not sort of lament over the absence and the distance. Or I could really like lean into that sort of ache and missing her. And I found that it was actually way more productive to lean in, even though it made it hurt more and that it made me really hate being apart. Mm-hmm. But it it kept this sort of magnetism going. Um, is that a strategy that you employ? Yeah, sure. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a uh, that's a definite strategy, and I, and I and I do I do lean into it. And you know, we had a we had a many many years where, except for a couple of projects, you know, where I was in Africa and she was working someplace else, and and another time I think I was, you know, we kept it down to our best ability. We kept it down to two weeks, and sometimes we would fly. Um, to the middle of the country uh, just to meet, you know, if we were on either side, just to, you know, make the trip and just kind of randomly. And we spent a lot of time in airports and a lot of time on airplanes and, and, and uh, planes, trains and automobiles. So, listen, we are, we, we are, uh, we're, we, we're people that like to travel. So, the, so being in this kind of a lockdown, and being such a, uh, you know, a working kind of person, you know, I'm 61 years old and there's a lot of people who are slowing down, playing golf, you know, whatever, taking a boat out or, you know, whatever it is that they read in the book, sitting on the couch, watching, sport, you know, things that you hear people say, I just want to, you know, and I, I get it. And the truth is that I'm not a, you know, I don't, I don't dig ditches, you know, I'm a professional pretender. So I live a very, <laughs> in terms of like my lifestyle, it's, it's, it's very cushy, but I also really have no desire to slow down at this point in my life. And so what I find is that during this time, um, I find a way to be busy. You know, I wake up and give myself some kind of a job. And uh, it could be cleaning out the basement or it could be writing a song or it could be developing a movie idea or it could be talking about you know, something of a, of a, uh, of a, a charitable nature or whatever it is, but I definitely give myself a job pretty much every day. And I realized that I think that's what I do anyway. You know, like my, my family makes fun of me because if we do end up on some kind of a vacation, which we do sometimes at Christmas, I'm there with the, you know, the guidebooks and I've like scheduled every day within an inch of its life. And it's not, I'm not like a, let's go down to the beach and just like, Set. I'm like, we, we're going doing this, we're going doing that, you know. That's interesting. So when you think about 
getting old. Like, are you imagining sort of a, um, oh God, Peter Fonda, I think it was, that was, you know, on Golden Pond and he was like super fucking old. Is that it? Like we're acting until we're in the coffin or have you crossed some sort of, if I manage to do this, then I'll, I'll sort of gracefully go into true old age. No, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I had. Um, uh, you know what I think is that, you know, Peter Fonda, he was the right guy to play that part. And that's one of the nice things about the gig that I have. You know, it's it's different than, say, you know, if you're a, if you're a surgeon, you know, you got to say it's time. You know, you t- it's time. My hands are too shaky. My mind is not where it used to be. If you're a football player, you know, your body is no longer able to do those things that it, it could do. If you're an actor, there's old guys to play and there's things that you can explore um, because what's the parts that you're getting is somehow starting to line up with with what you're feeling and what you're going through in your life. And and, you know, my theory about the acting thing for me is to use yourself and lose yourself because every part that I go into what else do I have to use but the experiences that I've had and the things that in my body and my face and my voice and, you know, all my stuff. But I want to lose myself into the role. I don't want to feel like it's Kevin. So I, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm totally fine with um, no longer, you know, kind of being uh, whatever a whatever a lead character you know in a, in a in a movie situation should be but you know the truth is that I was never really that guy anyway I had a moment you know in Footloose where I was kind of like the guy but when you really look at at what's worked for me it's always been character parts so if I'm gonna you know continue the rest of my career as a character actor I I, I think that's great I also feel the same way about um you know, songwriting and songwriting is a little different because every time I write a song, I feel like it's the last one I wrote. And, um, so I don't know if that tap, you know, has the potential of being turned off or, or whether or not at least anything that I would be proud of would be turned off. But when it comes to acting, I want to be, you know, Peter Fonda and and on Golden Pond and then just die, you know, and that would be great. Yeah, when I so the recent movie that you did, or at least the one that came out, um, you should have left. Thematically, that is really interesting to me, and seems to line up with um, where you're at now. And I know that you say that you actually don't want to step into a character that is Kevin, um, and obviously that character isn't you. But thematically, when I think about some of the things you've talked so powerfully about, um, you really touch on that in the movie, um, which, by the way, is creepy as fuck. Uh, and so I have no doubt that that one, it was Blumhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Jesus, between the you and the talent behind the camera and then par- partnering up with Blumhouse, I'm super excited to see how far that one goes. Um, very, very interesting. Was that part of what drew you to the project? I know that you actually shepherded the project, but was that that notion of being an older guy who's sort of in, in the movie anyway, representing that transition of age by being married to somebody younger and the anxieties that that produces, was that something specifically you wanted to pursue because of that theme? Yeah, I think that um, 
the writer director is named David Kep. He he directed me in a film called Stir of Echoes twenty years ago, and we had a really good relationship, and we actually had an actual real friendship that has lasted <laughs> through those twenty years. And I kept kind of. Um, I don't know, just wanting, bugging him about doing something together. And uh, Kira, you know, actually p tossed out the idea of some kind of a, uh, a horror movie surrounding a marriage. And, and after 20 years of trying to talk um, David into, into getting, you know, hiring me again, um, that idea sort of sparked something in him. And he's an amazing writer. And um, so we started to knock these ideas around. And pretty much right away, he felt like it should be a second marriage and that and that we were talking about par the paranoia. Um, uh, it's and, and it's kind of what we were talking about before, you know, of of being away from somebody and, you know, wondering, you know, if if you see someone all the time, then, you know, exactly kind of you think, you know, exactly like where they're at. Right. But if they're gone or they're off in another world or at work or, you know, with colleagues or in this case on a movie set, you know, and, and doing a sex scene, sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, your mind can go a lot of different places. So uh, in order to kind of amplify that um, and also to give the character uh, a, a sense of um, uh, of losing his relevance, we wanted to to make his wife much younger than him and make her into an actor. Um, these are very kind of like specific things that we talked about very early on. So yeah, I think that's not what that's not specifically what's going on in 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 my relationship because um, my, my wife is younger than me, but she's not that much younger than me. Um, David is on his his. Uh, his second marriage, his wife is a bit younger than him, but again, it's not exactly the same thing. But there are those kinds of themes were things that we talked about very specifically. Yeah, marriage is um, obviously somewhere like as an interviewer, I will just tell you as soon as um, we had gotten you to agree to be on the show, I'm like, I've got to ask him what the secret to a long marriage is. And then, of course, in my research, I find that you fucking get more annoyed about that question than just about it's like the same as people making you dance at a wedding to the Footloose theme song. And, but at the same time, dude, like you've created like the ultimate trap in your marriage and you guys still have this incredibly thriving marriage. Do you really see yourself as just sort of like, ah, I just do what I do or, or like, it just seems like there has to be some strategy that you guys are deploying. It's, I wish there was, man. I wish there was, I don't, I, then I could tell you what the strategy was, but um, I feel a couple of things about that. One is that, you know, there's so much uh, DNA and there's so much nurture versus nature that makes two people able to spend time together. And I think that marriage, to me, look at the statistics. It just doesn't work. It's like we... <laughs> We, we set it up to be this big thing and we put it on this pedestal and we, you know, create these ceremonies so that uh, it's actually supposed to be a bond that's from a higher power. And, and you know, God is there. And then you spend all the all the money you have, you know, all your parents have, you know, you spend on the wedding and you, you, you worry about, you know, uh, uh, insulting the people that don't come. And, and, you know, what, how many marriages survived, not, not even in my industry, but in, in, the, in America, I don't really know, is it a third or something like that? 
Um, you know, so for me to say, well, this is what we do. And if you do it, you know, it just, it, it doesn't hold, it doesn't hold any water, you know? And I, and the other, the other thing about it is it's a, it's as much a mystery to me as it is to anybody else. And, and the reason that I have a hard time, um, with it is not that I don't, not that I'm opposed to talking about it, but generally when I'm asked about my marriage, it's on a red carpet and they're looking for a soundbite or, or it's in a, it's not in this kind of long form situation or it's in a, it's an interview, but they're just going to take like three little words and put it, put it up there. And that's to me, frankly, disrespectful to the marriage, <laughs> you know, it's disrespectful to the people that are going to try to read it and go, well, Kevin Bacon says, you know, whatever, you know, she's my best friend or some bullshit like that, you know, uh, and, but it's also disrespectful to the marriage. So, um, I really, I don't know. I do think that we were, we started this out talking about the pandemic and I think that the pandemic has been a really interesting test for it. You know, you would kind of go, well, they've been together so long that, uh, it's not going to be an issue for them. But the truth is we've been together for a long time, as we spoke about always being able to split, mm. you know what I mean? And always knowing that pretty soon we were going to split, you know, and it literally, uh, uh, yesterday, you, you know, the industry is maybe chipping away. It's starting to get open. And, and if it does kick back in, chances are I'll be working in New York and she'll be working in LA and, because travel is now, you know, a little bit, you know, uh, uh, dicey, we will probably be apart for a longer stretch than we are used to. And, um, we were laughing about it because, uh, I said, it's going to be fine. You've had plenty of me. <laughs> we've been able to bank, we've been able to bank some serious, you know, hours that we've, we've never spent this much time together in our marriage ever. Yeah, that the the whole idea of being able to maintain a relationship when you have that sort of um, you're spreading apart, you're coming back together, which is, again, exactly what my wife and I went through at the beginning, becomes a whole different question on whether you can navigate being together. And it's interesting. Um, my wife and I have taken an incredibly tactical approach ah. to being married. I had from the time I was 14, I started having a recurring nightmare of being in a loveless marriage. Now, I didn't recognize it at the time, but my parents obviously were in, well, that's what was happening to my parents. So right, okay. I was in the middle of it, but I was too young to understand what was going on. Right. Literally three weeks after I left for college, my parents split up. So I'm picking up on something growing up. I start having this recurring nightmare. And so when I got in, deciding to propose to my wife was difficult. That I was like, oh man, do I really want to do this? I had always thought that I was never going to get married. Uh -huh. And so I was like, nah, I don't know about once I decided to propose, then it was like, okay, I'm shutting that door. Like it's, I'm only moving forward with this. But I thought the only way to avoid being trapped is to like be aggressively open, honest, talk about it, say like, what do we have to do to make this rad? Like, I don't want to be in a marriage that works. I want to be in a marriage that's fucking awesome. Like I want to, I want this to be the most important thing in my life, the most joyful thing in my life. And so we have had, cause we were so young when we got together, we've had to have like all of these like rules 
uh, what we call rules of engagement. Like, how do you deal with an argument? What does that look like? Um, how do you deal with distance and absence? And, you know, there used to be times where, because my wife would go home to see her family at Christmas. And so I would just, it would be, you know, maybe two weeks and I would be going crazy and out of my mind. And so it was having to realize that was actually advantageous and to distance myself from her emotionally would be deeply problematic. Um, and so I'm, it's very interesting to me that you guys have had such a tremendously successful relationship um, being very, and I don't know if you would use the word laissez-faire, so stop me if that doesn't feel right, but um, but just a more sort of natural take what, what may come. And to your point about you know nature and nurture, uh, it's interesting how it plays out. You know, uh, I wrote a song called Play, which uh, was probably, I guess, two or three songs ago that we released. And it was a little bit of a reaction to uh, these very things. And, you know, people will often say to me, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And listen, I, 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 I for what, for one person and two people, if, if, if you will not offend me, if you're like, you're a crazy motherfucker for talking about this is work. I don't mind. All that stuff is working for you. Uh, how long have you been married? Uh, we've been married for 18 years. Okay, so it's working, right? Because that's a that's a that's a you know that's like a that's like a Hollywood platinum, and <laughs> you know so I, so so, uh, but this song that I wrote is called Play, and it's the basis of it is, uh, if when you really ask me like what is it the work that we put in or is it the fact that we like to play together? And I kind of feel like for us, it's a little bit more the fact that we like to play together. Like, Do you guys sing together? All the time, yeah. I, I didn't realize, one, I didn't realize how well you could sing. Fuck. Dude, your voice is incredible. Thank you. Uh, and then your wife's voice is amazing. Was that part of what sparked for you guys initially? No. Uh-uh. No. Well, music kind of was. We would sing along to records and we had a, we had a kind of, when we first met, we had a um, like a freakishly kind of shared idea about things that we liked and artists that we were really big on. So we kind of bonded on that, and we would we would sing along. And, and you know, when we first put the band together, she would sometimes come up and, and sing harmony, and then she kind of she kind of left, stopped doing that. So yeah, we would sing. And about probably four years ago or so, she would never picked up an instrument, and I got her a ukulele, and, and she started playing and. And then, you know, we would play together and, and then, yeah, so that's a, that's definitely a part of, a part of, uh, what we do in this family. Um, you know, my, my kids are both musicians and, uh, so your son scored a movie that you and Kira did together is yeah, Kira, not mistaken. Kira, Kira directed the, the movie and, uh, he scored that. He also scored a, uh, this podcast that I had recently called the last degree of Kevin Bacon, which was a comedy half hour comedy podcast. Um, and in a totally different, uh, sort of genre thing, you know, it was like, a, it's comedy and, and Cure's movie was much more, um, uh, you know, drama, sentimental kind of drama. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's very, he's, he's a talented kid. The, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing that, that is, that's a level of fame that has got to be a little strange. I'm actually curious, like one, your being famous in the way that you're famous, your name is Kevin Bacon, right? It's not Kevin, it's Kevin Bacon to us. <laughs> and the when that game came out and people started playing it, I remember thinking like, 
this is crazy. Like your name has transcended even you. It's like, it's now like this bigger thing. Is that weird to have like other people running with that game, your name, some piece of your identity? It's, it's super intriguing. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've talked and I feel that fame is a very strange beast, you know? Um, and you know, at first I was very resistant to the game. In fact, I was for somebody that was so hungry to be famous. When I got famous, I was really like very uncomfortable with it, you know, and I really was truly hungry as a kid um, to become more famous. Than my, my, my dad, my dad was famous in Philadelphia and um, and, you know, he he was really into um, his own fame and his own legacy. It was something we, you know, you, we talked about, um, you know, relevance. And I was kind of push. I pushed back on that a lot. At the same time, wanting that kind of fame, and I think I wanted to be more famous than him. Basically, is it true uh, your dad was on the cover of uh, Time magazine? Yeah, he was. Yeah, in the '60s, uh, talking about um, American cities, and he was he fought very hard for to uh, bring uh, vitality back to the centers of, of cities. He loved cities. Um, and that was at a time, you know, when there was kind of, um, you know, suburban life was the one that uh, was the most uh, uh, desirable white flight, you know, they called it. And, and, uh, and he was a big proponent, not just in Philadelphia, but all over of like having cities operate and be places where people could uh, in, in enjoy their life and, and be in, in um, close proximity to each other. And uh, so he was really famous for, for that kind of stuff. Urban renewal, I guess they call it. Um, and, uh, and, and I was so driven, but when the, when I got really famous, I got really kind of resistant of it. And I've really over the, over time learned to live with it in the same way that I've learned to, you know, be okay with the, with the game. Um, I thought it was a joke basically at my expense that all that being said, you know, as, as cool as the game is, and, and we have gotten a chance to, uh, uh, take it and, and take me out of the concept because a lot of times I feel like it was, it's really not about me. You know, it's really about the hunger that we have for connectivity as, as, as a people, as a, as a, as a nation, as a, as a globe, as a global entity, that's, that's the reason why Facebook blew up and that's the reason why social media is what social media is. is a you guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to except for very special occasions and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing and a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your 
full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. You know, it's that hunger. Interesting. So one of my favorite stories about you is your take on Diner. And this dude, 
you probably know this about yourself. You're maybe you're never going to say it out loud. So I will say it for you. And this is something that really inspires me. So take diner, right? So you're with these extraordinary improv artists um, and you realize, okay, I'm not sure I'm yet where I want to be with improv. So I know the value that I can bring is to, to sit back and react and give the camera somewhere else to go to help the audience really connect with what's happening. And I thought that's so fucking brilliant. Or when you said, eh, you know what? I don't actually want to pursue being a leading man. I want to be a character actor, which I think has given you the career that it's given you because you can have that level of versatility. Yeah, I agree. There's like a, a powerful humility in that. So it, I get this sort of downplay of, well, you know, I've just been in a lot of ensemble pieces. But yeah, I think there's something more profound than that. I mean, in terms of, I, I completely agree with the character thing. I mean, I, I, uh, I always was a character actor. I had a moment as a leading man. I was trying to chase still being a leading man when I went, wait a second, you're really a character actor because they're all characters. Even if you got the biggest part in the, in the show, it's a character in my mind, you know? Um, and that was a, that was a seminal kind of moment for me for sure but the other thing i'll say about something like like diner and somehow somehow instinctually i think i knew this and i can't really pinpoint what it was and that is that in in my in in our in in our business in the movie business i got into it because um i was hoping for the feeling of playing in a band you know what I mean? That there was going to be a brotherhood and a sisterhood of, 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 of actors. And I felt that for a while when I was doing theater and I was doing a lot of, um, you know, regional theater, off Broadway theater, and nobody was really a big star. Everyone was kind of, well, there were people that were older than me and had more experience, but it, uh, had bigger parts or whatever. But there was really this feeling that we were getting together to uh, put the play across and then to put the scene across. And, and that in the same way that the bass, bass player has to listen to the drummer, if you two people are playing in a scene, you, you, have, to be, you, have, to, you have to be dancing. You know, you have to, it has to, be, has to be harmony. There has to be a, a feeling there. When you get onto a movie set, right away it's different. Somebody has a bigger trailer. Somebody is called to the set last so that they don't have to wait for you to show up. Pretty much right away, the rumors are out about who's getting paid what. They treat you different in a very hierarchical way. And even in the, in the um, uh, shooting of a film, there's a separation that's created between actors as opposed to a bringing together of actors every once in a while there's somebody that you know does a good job with that barry levinson being one you know put us in a shitty hotel in baltimore and you know was basically like you guys have to you know hang, feel like your friends and you know so go hang out you know it was smart but if you start a scene and you feel like you're really relating to yourself or multiple actors you shoot them a, a wide shot then the next time you do another setup uh, you're, you're, there's, there's some gear in between you and that actor. And then you get to a close up and there's even more gear. There's even more lights and there's even more cameras. And you're sitting off 
in some corner on an apple box and the and the actor is there you can barely see him and as the actor you start to go well all this is really about is my close-up so i don't have to feel this connection to this person anymore and then you go and you see the movie and you're cut out or you cut in or you're whatever and so it created a feeling to me of um every man for himself and a sort of kind of isolation. And I think that I instinctually wanted to um, push back against that. So in, in, the, in the case of Diner, yeah, I was looking around and I was thinking to myself, boy, everyone's doing so great and they're going to get bigger parts and they're going to be more impactful and they're going to be, you know. But I think somehow I knew that I had to think about the play and the fact that this character has to fit into that group because if everybody in the group is exactly the same then it's not going to be a, it's not going to have the dynamic that a group of friends would have hmm. yeah filmmaking compared to theater now i have very limited experience but i actually did get paid to act in a play when i was in high school oh wow the most surreal experience of my life so I was doing um, was like to just this was in Tacoma, Washington, oh. uh, Tacoma Actors Guild. Shout out. I don't even know if they still exist, but uh -huh. they did a, a summer thing with high school kids, basically. And I was doing that. And then they would audition those kids for the play that um, Christmas season. So it was a Christmas carol. And I got cast and I missed my exit driving home three times because I was so excited. I like was in a, a just a, a fog. I couldn't believe it. I was so over the moon. And my part could not have been smaller. They had me playing like four or five different characters. And a lot of what I did was move furniture between scenes and stuff. But dude, when I say that I had the time of my life, um, I felt very differently than your kids. I was beyond excited to be missing school. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And that was it had this like family environment. And part of, I think what creates that family environment is I talk to people a lot about when you embody something, your brain goes, Oh, this matters. I feel this, whatever. And so if you're, if as a character, you're going through an emotion with another human being, you begin to sort of muddle those things. And it's like, Whoa, we've, I've shared these emotions with you. I've been raw. I've been, Oh yeah, wait, I was just acting. But because you're actually embodying it, you do get that sense of connection. And then oftentimes in theater, you're, you're having to disrobe in front of them, you know, right off the stage. And so there's, there's like a real physical intimacy to it all. Sure. Dude, that was so fucking cool. And then I go to film school and just filmmaking as an art form has always captured my heart and soul and knew that that's what I wanted to do. And because I've only ever worked on like really low budget films, um, the just insane hours and the like sleeping in the editing room and, you know, being there and trying to create moments with the actors and there are no trailers, no hierarchy, at least in the stuff that I've done. So you did get, it was very different, but you got another sort of family vibe. And that's part of what I've always loved about the craft. And I'm curious. So there was, um, in your recent film, you should have left. It's so intimate and so contained. Were you guys able to create more of that vibe in that kind of environment? Yeah. I don't mean to say that you can never have that. And I think that you certainly, um, it depends on the, it depends on the film and you can, you and and if you have for instance i think a lot of times it comes down from the top so just to give you an example you know working with meryl streep of course you know i would look at meryl streep and think to myself okay this is the 
this this person has the career that I would most likely to like to aspire to. And I think she's just incredible. And here we are. And I'm going to actually do, you know, a movie with her. And I've got a pretty big part. And um, so you go to the table read and you're thinking, oh, boy, what's this going to be like? And she knows that, you know, she knows that everyone is kind of feeling that, you know, and she just disarms it like right away and not really sure what she did, but she just made us all feel like, you know, okay, we're rolling up our sleeves and we're getting to work. And, you know, John C. Riley was an experienced actor. Dave Mr. Theron was an experienced actor. You know, uh, she, there was no, it was like we were there to, to play the play and, um, and not to just kind of fight for our own moments. So I think that, you know, I try to create that if I can, if I happen to be number one on the call sheet, um, that's the vibe that I want to create. So in the case of something like you should have left, yeah, definitely. Um, it was really um, me and, and Amanda and Dave. I mean, the, the little girl certainly, you know, she's a little girl, so it's not really exactly the same kind of thing. But but yeah, we felt like we were putting our heads together to, you know, create this thing together. And that's so I I do. And I know what you mean about independent films. There is a real sense of, um, you know, we got through this and we we had these hours and we have a sense of family. Um, it is possible to create. I, I worry, you know, about uh, at least, you know, for the time being, when we do come back to work, it's going to be a very, very difficult different kind of vibe on a set you know i mean from what because of the need to keep distance yeah the distance and uh probably the crew will be in some version of ppe the actors are the only person mm. people that are not going to be you know uh wearing masks and the actors probably have masks on for the the greater part part of the day and probably wear them during rehearsal and then you know so it's it's um there's going to be a lot of isolation and and it's going to be difficult we can't we we movie people we are um thrown together sometimes with um strangers we're put into very intimate situations i can't tell you how many times i've you know met somebody and they say uh yeah um you know this is this is uh you know Susie. okay uh, you know hop in bed or or okay <laughs> this is uh, this is edward uh you know he's your dad Okay, you haven't seen him for 20 years. We just like meeting them that, that, you know, what I mean, it's like the crazy kind of things, not to mention the hours, not to mention the the weather, not to mention the the uh, difficult shooting situations that that we go through. We have a very it's a very intimate way of making a living um, emotionally and and physically. So uh, creating that uh, in di being distant is going to be tough. Has the industry started talking about the specifics of what it will take to get back together? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's what, been, what's there's the, there's been a, a, a protocol uh, that came out um, from our union. And I think the general idea is that, the, the, you know, the more testing, the less risk. Um, so I think that's going to be, you know, it's good. I don't know that that much about how many tests are available, sure. but I'm guessing that there's that'll be a piece of it, you know, or, or, or how much testing is being done. 
and then yeah, it's essentially uh, all crew is is uh, the crew gets very pared down. There's a there's a zone that, that is you know a protected kind of zone, um, and the actors are the only ones that are in it that are not uh, you know protected. And have they started talking timeline yet? Yeah, you know people are wishfully thinking fall. Okay. Um, and are you developing projects any differently given what's going on? Huh? Well, I can tell you that the, the only thing that in, in terms of that is that Kira and I have been, uh, we, we made a, uh, I, I wrote a song in, in, uh, during lockdown and, uh, you know, recorded it and it's at home, you know, got a nice mic here and, you know, um, a computer and, and sent, uh, sent some files around and, and a friend of mine produced it. And, um, uh, and then I wanted to shoot a video for it. So I got out there with, uh, the iPhone and I have a GoPro and was shooting some stuff just myself. You know, I would set up the shot and walk into it and, you know, do the whole thing. And then I was like, yeah, I said, I sent it to an editor. He said, you know, we could really move, use some moving stuff. So I was like, honey, uh, are you busy? <laughs> so, and she's directed quite a bit actually. Um, so she came out and started shooting some stuff for me for this, for this video. And it, it's, it's kind of amazing how, how great it looks and it's really, really come together. Um, and now we're really talking about just making something that we just kind of create outside of outside of a music video you know some some kind of piece of content um and how we do that i don't know but this is what i talk about in terms of you know this desire to stay busy um mm. so uh it's been fun to sort of knock those ideas around and i think to collaborate in that kind of way it, it, we don't really work that much together kira and i but as many times as we've been together She's directed me a couple of times. I've directed uh, City on a Hill, my Showtime show. Um, um, I've directed her a few times. We've produced some stuff together, but uh, it's it, it, as long as we've been together, haven't haven't really been that many projects. So so we're we're now kind of open to that, and who knows, maybe that'll happen while we're while we're locked down. Yeah, I was going to say from a development perspective, um, taking care of the other lead actress definitely being somebody that you don't have to worry about uh, be a good time to develop something with her. When did you start developing projects? That seems to me like as an actor, just such a smart move. I, I did. I, I've done it for a really long time, but I, honestly, I I wish I had even worked harder at it. It's it's a but back in the in the uh, 80s. Um, if you had a hit movie, they just gave you a development deal. Studios just did it. Uh, they had office space. They give you an office. They pay, pay the salary of, of, uh, your development person and an assistant. And, uh, I was on the Sony lot, I think. And, um, even though I was living in New York, but I was still, you know, going out and we were working on things and I don't know, it, it was I think I got too, uh, I was too, I would, I would get really into something for a moment and then, and then I would go back to say, oh, oh you know, I just want to act, you know, this is just too much because you, because development is really hard, you know, as you know, you know, it takes a long time if you have to really, and, and to be a producer, um, a good producer 
doesn't just have one thing. You know, a good producer has 20 things that they're that they're working on because they all are going to take a long time. And they're going to have a hard time getting them made. You know, I just want it to be actor boy on, on one level. And, you know, uh, but I, when I talk to um, young actors um, and certainly I talked to my 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 daughter about this. Uh, she's an actor. Um, I think it's a good thing to do. I think that trying to generate your own material will not only maybe you'll get it made, but it'll also give you a better sense of what it is that you want to do. And the other thing is that, you know, back when I was starting out, to get a camera and an editing bay and a sound pack package, you know, that was that was a big deal. Like that was a big investment and it was all, you know, 35 millimeter and, and, uh, you know, Nagras and you know all, all kinds of like, you know, back. I mean, you, now, you know, it's all right here. Yeah. You know, go make your movie, you know, learn how to edit. So what, what is up next? What do you, um, what do you have lined up? I know that I, I tried desperately to find the, when the next season of city on a hill is coming out. Um, we're, what's the story? Uh, we're about um, three episodes in, and uh, when when we went into lockdown, and so um, I'm hoping that we can, you know, start to prep in August and June, September. We'll see. I mean, I uh, we have the scripts, um, and uh, and so far I haven't heard anything. Uh, from Showtime saying anything other than they want to keep shooting it. And, uh, and I, I really liked, uh, doing it. I like, I like, uh, I, I like it a lot. I directed the first episode of this season. Um, so just that I want, you know, to be seen. And, uh, beyond that, I don't know, you know, I'm, a, I'm attached to a couple of things. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I, you know, but I know that, I know that I, I, I know I want to work, and I also, <laughs> you know, one that if if I could really, um, you know, I know I keep hitting this theme of um, being grateful, but one thing that is is really I'm really happy about when I don't tend to look back or these are the only times when when I think about my career as a on the whole is when I'm doing interviews, you know, mm. otherwise. You know, I'm waking up and, you know, making my coffee and then reading the paper and, and, and trying to figure out my day, you know, put one foot in front of the other. I don't, I don't go, hmm, diner, you know. <laughs> uh, but when I do think about it, what I think to myself is the thing that I always wanted is some, there's, the main thing that I have that I, that I always wanted was that if somebody came to me with a role, that it would that it wouldn't just fit into one category. And that's what I see. You know, I get stuff kind of all over the map in terms of the types of people that I'm asked to play from different parts of the country, um, different, you know, walks of life, uh, different points of view. Um, so, so I just hope that that continues. Because even if it's something that I don't end up doing, you know, you know, you look at it and you go, well, I never have played a plumber, you know, and 
I played an astronaut, uh, and I played a uh, an X man, but I haven't played a plumber. You know, I, I'm I'm really I'm really thankful for that. And when you are looking for the roles and you get something new, how do you find that hook? I know you've said that there are some times you can just hear the voice of the character, but when it isn't sort of presenting itself that fast, how do you dig in and, and find it? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is, kind of digging in and finding it. I, I mean, how, how do I do it? Uh, I think I just keep uh, asking myself questions about about this guy and and I and and uh, and I think about all kinds of things that they would like or wouldn't like or or where they're from or you know maybe you go into some kind of backstory and you think well even if it's not going to be in the script what if um, you know his father died when he was seven or whatever it happens to be you know what if um, you know, he was attacked by a dog. I, you know, whatever happened. Is part of that driving towards specificity? Yeah, yeah. Driving towards specificity will sometimes open up a door that you don't really know was there in terms of finding a hook. Yeah. yeah as a writer, that's one thing when I'm writing a, a story and you've got a character and you're trying to figure out how to play a scene or whatever. Um, oftentimes I find it's, it is a lack of specificity that makes it harder. And you would think that in shutting doors, you're making it more difficult, but that actually, uh, makes it a lot easier. Um, in, in your recent film, um, you should have left one thing that I thought was really interesting and I spoiler alert for anybody who's watching, uh, truly spoiler alert. Um, you end up playing two characters that are in conversation with each other and the way that you differentiated them. But in fact, one thing I want to know, they, they, they felt like they, he, you, you transition where at first I wasn't sure that that was you in both roles. And then I was like, Oh shit, it is him. That was really interesting. Um, how do you, when you're going to play both roles, how do you find a way to differentiate, especially when ultimately the, the sort of punchline is that it's the same person? Uh, what we tried to dig into was that that other person was, was a manifestation of his, of, of, you know, the fear and horror in his life. So we were trying to like, then, then, then make something specific that would have terrified him as a young man. And then we went, then we started started putting the pieces together of who that would be. But that person was very specific, you know, we, we stuff that you would never know, um, uh, in terms of his backstory. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, from, you hear actors talk about that, like, I'll write the bio of this character, whatever, it never makes it on screen. Or I've heard stories about Tarantino doing that, where he'll just write and write and write stuff that he knows is never going to make it onto the screen. But it is interesting how it really does inform um, choices that you make. One thing that I heard you say that I thought summed up acting really well and was a super powerful insight um, for somebody like me who hasn't spent time doing that is you were talking about um, I Love Dick and you were saying you can't show up and play sexy. Like you can show up and play mad or frustrated or whatever. Um, what what is that that translate translation into playable? What makes something playable? Well, it's 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 active. You know, um, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Uh, I'm angry. I'm going to yell. I'm sad. I'm going to cry. You know, it's it's active. Things like being sexy is more of a quality, and it's it's a quality that you know, may not appeal to one person or to another. People talk about it a lot about 
trying to make a character likable. And like, I just, I can't walk into a room likably, you know, I can, I can walk into a room having, um, you know, you know, cold or, or hot or, or, uh, like I have to go to the bathroom or, or sadness, you know, but it's, it's an out, it's, it's an outside quality that you're trying to reach for as opposed to an inside, uh, active, active inside thing. Yeah, I was reading a book on directing and it's it's really funny. I always tell people and I'm sort of joking, but I actually mean it. It took me three years to figure out what a producer does um, in, in film school. I, I legitimately didn't understand, like even taking the classes. I was like, I don't I don't understand what this is. And I mean, once somebody explains it, you know, that ultimately it's the person that brings the pieces together and actually gets the film made. Like think of all the things that it takes to bring to herd cats, get them together, pointed in one direction, get it across the finish line, deal with financiers, all that stuff. It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's like a very logistical job. Um, but the same was true for directing. It's like, I always thought of directing as well, it's where you put the camera. Um, but I had no concept of how to talk to an actor or what it meant to make something playable. And one of the, um, I was reading a book and it gave like this really simple advice. I'd actually be really interested to hear if you think this is shit advice or if it's really useful. And he said, you know, I realized I had to translate into things that are actionable. So I would say things like play it like you're angry, play it like your son just died, play it like, um, you know, your wife just broke up with you. And it's like then all of a sudden you get that that sort of bundle of emotions and you understand sort of the position that you're coming at it from. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Even though in the scene, it may have nothing to do with any of those things, but you're handing them sort of a, an umvelt of experience or emotion that allows them to inform what they're doing. Um, super curious. You're nodding. So I'll take that as a, it's at least mildly useful. Well, yeah. But curious if no, there's a better way. I, I think I, I, look, I think that every actor reacts in, in different ways. And, um, a lot of times being a good director, sometimes there's those moments where you have to come up and, you know, whisper the, the gem into the actor's ear that makes him, you know, you know, think about your dog or whatever it is. Um, (laughs) you know, uh, but a lot of times I think it's about creating a good working space where the actor can go and, and do their best work and encourage them to keep going further. I also think it's, it's good if possible to encourage an actor to uh, prepare so that um, the time on the set is, is spent less trying to quote unquote, get a performance from them and more about, um, you know, being able to frame their performance in a way that, that, that um, brings it to life through the lens. Oh, makes sense. Well, Kevin, dude, thank you so much thank for you. coming on, man. And thank you for the considerable gifts that you've given to the film industry. You are definitely somebody that I hope to see in front of the camera for a very, very, very long time. Thank you. Um, you yeah, dude, it's the fact that you show up so prepared and take things so seriously is self-evident. Loved your performance and you should have left. thought it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, you guys made that thing look just extraordinary and knowing that it was contained i'm sure for partly for budgetary reasons you just never feel it as the audience so um in front of the camera behind the cameraman please keep doing it it's absolutely phenomenal as somebody who loves film as much as i do i'm I'm super grateful um, to have had you as a part of my my lexicon growing up so thank you good sir everybody make sure that you watch yeah 
Say it again. We'll do it again. We'll do it again sometime. Dude, I would love that. Anytime you've got something to promote, dude, come on. I would love that. Yeah. Be extraordinary. Guys, if you haven't, be sure to go check out. You should have left. In fact, Kevin, I saw it on um, Apple TV. Where's the best place that people can check this out? I think it's on video demand. I, you know, wherever you get your video on demand, it can be on your TV, it can be on Apple TV. You know, there's a, there's a lot of places. Yeah, no joke. All right, everybody, check it out. It's fantastic. Kevin, thank you again so much for being here. Thanks, man. All right, take care, everybody. Peace. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.